Welcome to this week's episode of the Baseball Together Podcast. This week we have Silver Slugger winners, rookies of the year, and a conversation with a sports psychologist right now. Nine Plus Us presents the Baseball Together Podcast with your hosts, Blackjack Brad and Kansas City Little Big Briggy Blue Eyes. And now, Baseball Together. Welcome to this week's episode of the Baseball Together Podcast. My name is Brad, and this week I'm actually flying solo without my trusty co-pilot, Brig. So I'm just going to get into things and get going with it. Um, there's, I was actually a little bit surprised about how much there was going into this week. Um, it felt like kind of a slow news week with mostly just like trade rumors and things like that going on. I think that we'll address some of those later. Uh, right now, it's... All, it all feels very speculative, and uh, and it doesn't feel like that anything's really um, substantive right now. Uh, a lot of a whole lot of oh, Otani to the Rangers, oh, Otani to the Braves, right? Like we know he wants to go to a contender, but I don't know that he's going to pull a Kevin Durant and go to the team that just won the World Series, right? So I think we can pump our brakes on that a little bit. If he does, good for him, good for them. But I don't think that's how things are going to go. Um, but anyway, let's move on and we'll talk about something else. First things first, opening day, official opening day is 136 days away, unless you're a Dodgers and Padres fan, in which sep- subtract seven days from that once again, and you will have your opening day for your game, I believe, in South Korea is where they're opening their season. Um, but anyway, so before we get too far into anything else, baseball family, let's talk about sports betting. Sports betting has rapidly risen in popularity, and we want to connect you with an opportunity opportunity <laughs> to get started or to get ahead. Having multiple sportsbook accounts is the simplest way to maximize your profits, and there has never been a better time to sign up than now. When you visit our page, uh, the link is, there's a page is signupexpert.com slash baseball. That's right, signupexpert.com dot com slash baseball you'll be connected to all the sports books in your region and your state along with a review of each platform and its unique benefits what makes it different from another sports book what makes FanDuel different from DraftKings or underdog or anything like that all these sports books have valuable sign up offers for new users and when you register through the baseball together link you'll automatically receive the top offer at each one that you qualify for when you use multiple sports books, you ensure that you can always access the best available odds, which is key to successful sports betting. If you want to take advantage of these benefits and support the show, sign up for your next sports book at signupexpert.com slash baseball. And as always, there is always a link in the episode description down below. Okay, let's talk award winners. The Silver Slugger Award winners were officially announced, so we're just going to go through, and I'm going to share my thoughts on some of these. Uh, first, we have in the American League uh, for the catcher. So, so I'm going to go through the sorry. I'm going to go through the American League first. Uh, at the catcher position, we have Adley Rutschman with the Orioles. First base, Yandy Diaz with the Rays. Second base, Marcus Simeon with the Rangers. Third base, Rafael Devers with the Red Sox. Shortstop, Corey Seager with the Rangers. Outfielders, you had three outfield winners, remember. Luis Robert Jr. with the White Sox. Julio Rodriguez with the Mariners. And Kyle Tucker with the Astros. Your designated hitter was Shohei Otani with the Angels. Your utility hitter, which is a new one from last year, is Gunnar Henderson with the Orioles. And then I think this year is the first year they've done the team award. The team that won in the American League, as you would probably expect, was the Texas Rangers. 
I'm going to save my thoughts to talk to the National League. Let's go through the National League really quick. Your catcher was William Contreras of the Brewers. First base, Matt Olson with the Braves. Second base, Luis Arias with the Marlins. Third base, Austin Riley with the Braves. Shortstop, Francisco Lindor with the Mets. Your three outfielders, Ronald Acuna Jr. with the Braves. Mookie Betts with the Dodgers. And Juan Soto with the Padres. Your designated hitter was uh, Bryce Harper with the Phillies. And your utility guy was Cody Bellinger with the Cubs. And then your team, again, as you would expect, the Atlanta Braves, where your National League uh, Silver Slugger team. So I, I I know I'm biased. I know I'm really biased on this, but I thought Cal Raleigh should have won it at the catcher position. He was setting records all over the place this year as far as home runs and things like that. And I get it. Adley Rutschman, um, I'm sure I haven't looked at the numbers, honestly. I probably should have. Uh, to kind of console myself, but I think Adley Rushman, I'm sure probably had a better on base percentage and a better OPS because he, I'm sure he hit more doubles. Cal Raleigh was a home run hitting machine this year when I expected him to be a doubles hitting machine this year, but you'll, you'll take homers, right? You'll take them. Um, anybody else? Let's see here. Corey Seager, super duh. He won it with the Rangers. Um, yeah, he's, He's other he was otherworldly this year. Kyle Tucker, I am so happy to see that guy win some kind of award. I really am. <laughs> I'm I'm glad that he won a silver slugger. Obviously, I'm ecstatic that Julio Rodriguez won a silver slugger again this year. So that's two he's two for two so far uh in his two years in the league. Um the Rangers were a powerhouse this year. Absolutely the best offensive team in in the American league. And it's not even close. I think the Mariners were in there as an also ran for the team award. And it's kind of like, yeah, no, there's no way they're going to even come close to the Rangers, the national league, uh, Matt Olson, super duh, Luis Arias, super duh. Um, Austin Riley, I thought was a great, great pick for third base. Uh, Acuna, obviously in the outfield, Mookie Betts won his sixth silver slugger. That's fantastic for him. Bryce Harper at the DH position. That's great. Cody Bellinger, I love his resurgence. I'm very happy for him that he's coming back and making noise again in the league and that he could actually like really get paid this offseason as he's starting to come back up. I don't know that he's going to be MVP belly again, but if he gets to the point where he's where he was this year or even a little bit better, then he's not the liability that he was toward the end of his time in, in L.A., you know, he had that shoulder injury where he celebrated and did like the forearm bash with, with, I can't remember who it was. It might've been Justin Turner. I can't remember. I think it was in the world series in 2020 and he hurt his shoulder and he wasn't the same since then. It may have just taken him a couple of years to get right. And now he's right. And here we go. Here's healthy Cody Bellinger again. So good for him. Happy for that guy getting back and getting awards. And I hope that he is on an upward, upward trajectory to, uh, to have a great rest of his career, at least in the next couple of years. I think he could be really great. Let's talk Platinum Glove winners. First off, what is the Platinum Glove? If you don't know, then I'll tell you. Uh, this was actually first introduced in 2011, and it's just it's the best defensive player in each league among the Gold Glove Award winners. So it's actually a fan vote. The way this works is you take all the Gold Glove winners, and you, I think they put up a poll on mlb.com they say okay pick your platinum glove award winner and then because I, I don't vote for this stuff but i'm pretty sure this is how it works and then whoever wins the fan vote becomes your platinum glove winner and generally i feel like it's accurate right like the fans do have a pretty good pulse on 
who is the best defensive player in the league. Uh, Nolan Arenado has, was finally dethroned this year after having won six in a row. You might just call it the Nolan Arenado Platinum Glove Award, right? After he retires, maybe that's what they'll do. I think that they should. But this year's winners, you had Fernando Tatis with the Padres and, and the National League and the American League at Andres Jimenez with Cleveland's Baseball Club. That's right. That's how we address them around here, even in this situation. Um, it's interesting to me. I was actually pretty surprised that Fernando Tatis was the guy in the National League to win it. Um, part of it is because the fact that it is a fan vote. And another part of it is because he is only in like his first or second full year as an outfielder, as a right. I think it's his first full year as a right fielder. So it's crazy to think about this guy who went from a short, this guy, right? Went from being a shortstop to a right fielder. Not only did he win a gold glove, but he won the, the platinum glove. And he won a fan vote after coming off a PED suspension and going from ballpark to ballpark around the entire league and getting booed because he came off of a PED suspension. Now, does this mean that it's a recognizable name and he's the one that the fans recognize the most? Possibly. But it could also mean that he's a transcendent talent. That what it comes down to is that Fernando Tatis Jr. is that great of an athlete. The people are willing to forget about the fact that he came off a PED suspension and is doing transcendent things at a new position, which is amazing to me. Like, I love every little bit of that, and I am absolutely here for it. I'm not here for guys getting suspended for PEDs because I, I don't like that part of the game, and I understand it is, it's always going to be there to some level, right? You can't completely eliminate it. But I like Fernando Tatis. I like watching the dude play, and he's outstanding. I've seen him play live a couple times, and he's awesome. He's so great to watch. So good for him. Congratulations to him. Andres Jimenez, uh, good on him. I think I think I saw he's the first second baseman to win the award. So uh, untapped territory there. And I think it's cool, too, that a guy in Cleveland won a fan vote. Now, maybe Cleveland fans are out voting in droves. I don't know. But it it, se- it doesn't seem like Cleveland is, ne- is necessarily a market these days where you're going to win a popular vote in much just because the team's not that great. This it wasn't that great this year. They were down from previous year. And uh, and you don't – I don't know. You, you don't really know those guys as much as you would know uh, some other guys on that list, right? Like – Matt Chapman, for instance, Brig and I are always talking about Matt Chapman, especially lately. And so, I don't know. It's really interesting that Andres Jimenez was your guy. Good for him. Congratulations to him as well. We have Rookie of the Year winners. Now, these were super duh, super obvious after the last couple weeks, after the last couple months of the season. Corbin Carroll was our guy from day one. Brig and I both called Corbin Carroll, Corbin Carroll as our National League uh, Rookie of the Year. And he was. He was National League Rookie of the Year. Unanimous winner. Super duh. He beat out Kodai Senga. He was the NL runner-up and finished 79 points. Uh, Kodai Senga was 79 points behind Corbin Carroll. Your other guys in the American League, Gunnar Henderson, also unanimous. Got all 150 votes, first-place votes. Um, he is the first Oriole to win the award since 1989. Greg with two Gs, Olsen was the guy who won it then. Um, Tanner Bybee was the American League Rookie of the Year runner-up, and he finished 83 votes behind 
Gunnar Henderson, which actually shocked me. I know it's only four votes, but I thought that the American League voting would have been closer than the National League voting because Corbin Carroll was just that much better than everybody. He was transcend. I've been, I think I've said transcended five times now, but he was. He was so much better than everybody else in the running that it was just like, who else are you going to give it to? Kota Sango? Yeah, he had a great year, but he didn't have a Corbin Carroll year, right? So, anyway, I thought that was really interesting that that's how that shook out with the uh, rookie of the year. So, there's we have our 2023 rookies of the year Corbin Carroll in the National League and Gunnar Henderson in the American League. All right, now let's be done with awards for now. Let's talk about some moves and moves and shakes, I guess we should say. Maybe we'll have a maybe we'll call that a new segment. We'll call that moves and shakes. Anyway, the Phillies are moving Bryce Harper to first base permanently. They want to leave him there at first base. Uh, this means that they're going to be moving on from Reese Hoskins, which is kind of a bummer that the dude got Wally pipped like that, right? He has a freak injury and Gets replaced by Bryce Harper, who's coming in off of the IL after having Tommy John surgery. And then he takes his spot at first base. Now, Bryce Harper, remember, was drafted as actually a catcher. The Nats moved him out to the outfield to preserve his knees, which is relative. I think it's a pretty common move for teams to do that. Um, and what it came down to is the fact that Bryce Harper is a natural talent, right? That you knew he could hit. You want to preserve that bat. He's an athlete. He can play really anywhere, so let's put him in a position where we can take advantage of his cannon, which they did because Bryce, Ar- Bryce Harper has an incredible arm, and they certainly took advantage of the fact that he has a great arm and put him in the outfield. Well, now the Phillies are like, let's preserve him a little bit more, right? But I don't know. I- I'm curious what you think, though. Is first base the best place for Bryce Harper for the rest of his career? I say yes. It, it's interesting because I loved well, I loved him in the outfield, but I say first base is the best place for him, despite the fact that he is a plus outfielder, right? But there's less opportunity for injury over there. I know there's more opportunity for collisions, but first base is a pretty low impact position. You've usually got your your slower one of your slower guys on the team plays first base, kind of your big lumber, bigger lumbering guys play first base. Like I can't imagine Pete Alonso trying to play second base or, or even third base at this point in his career. I know he's not like an old guy or anything, but I can't imagine him trying to play third base uh, just because of the lateral movement, right? Even though it, I guess it's kind of similar. But anyway, I can't imagine Pete Alonso really playing anywhere besides first base. There's a lot of first basemen. Daniel Vogelbach, I don't see him playing anywhere besides first base, <laughs> right? If he's not DHing. Um, but first base is an offensive first position. And Bryce Harper has three silver sluggers in his career. He has the same number of gold gloves that I have, which is zero for those of you who might be wondering. I have zero gold gloves, and so does Bryce Harper. So he's an offensive first player. So put him in an offense first position, and then he can fill in other guys, and he's not taking the spot of a better outfielder like maybe Nick Castellanos, right? makes sense to have Castellanos out in right field. He didn't commit a single error this year. Does he have the range of some guys who may have committed other errors? No, he doesn't. But he played the ball safe, he played the ball well, and he didn't commit any errors. So there's that. And whereas you have Bryce Harper, who may have maybe taken some more risks and let balls get away from him, given up another run or two throughout the year. Anyway, I think first base is a great place for Bryce Harper. He's got a, his baseball IQ is off the charts. 
We know that as well. And so he can help to kind of captain the infield and move things around and, and make calls when, when the ball is in play. And I know that's the catcher's primarily the catcher's job, but he can help out with that and, and do a really good job with it. So I think having him in the infield is a great way to go. He can communicate with his other players, with his teammates more easily. And, uh, and I think, like I said, I think it's going to be a great fit for him. I wonder if the Nats maybe should have put him there to begin with. Um, like I said, they moved him away from being a catcher to preserve his legs. I wonder if they had put him at first base, if he maybe would have a gold glove by now at first base. Because he played a, he played a great first base this year. And if he'd been playing first base for, what, 12 years now? 10, 12 years now? He could have a gold glove at first base. So we'll see how it goes. I think it'll go well for him. Uh, moving to first base, bummer for Reese Hoskins, but I'm sure he'll land on his feet elsewhere. I'm confident that he will. He's a great player. The LA Angels have filled their managerial vacancy. Uh, Phil Nevin was let go, I believe, last day of the season, right after the last day of the season, not long um, before or after <laughs> the season ended. Uh, but they've hired Ron Washington as their manager. Back in the AL West, uh, first off, he's 71 years old. He is old guy, <laughs> right? Ron Washington is an old guy, and I think this is going to be a great fit for him. It's going to be a great spot for him. Uh, the Braves are worse today than they were the day before this this hiring was official or was made because I think Ron Washington did wonders with that team defensively. You saw him working with guys doing drills before games, and I, I think that his work defensively with those, with those guys played a significant role in the success that they've had because not only are they mashing home runs better than anybody in the national league, right? But they've got a good defensive team, got a really good defensive team to go with really good pitching, right? So I think the angels made a, a great move here by hiring Ron Washington. He spent the last years, like I said, in Atlanta as, um, as a coach on the staff there, he's, he had two stints on the A's coaching staff. And that was on both sides of uh, eight years with the Rangers as a manager there. During that time with the Rangers, Wash actually led the team to their only two previous pennants. They had two AL pennants before this year, and those were both under Ron Washington. So I'm not saying that the Angels are going to win the pennant, win the AL pennant under Ron Washington, because there are other things that have to go that have to fall in place for things like that to happen. You have to have a GM, an owner who knows how to put together a baseball team. And to this point, that's been a weakness in Anaheim, right? Is putting together a team around your perennial all-star and future Hall of Famer, Mike Trout, and your perennial all-star future Hall of Famer and unicorn, Shohei Otani. Otani is likely going to leave this offseason because of these issues. So there's, there's more that's got to be done in order for the Angels to significantly improve under Ron Washington, but I think it'll help. Managing in-game, he'll be... He'll be better at managing in-game for sure than Phil Nevin was, I believe. Um, but but they're gonna have, they're still gonna have to put the talent on the, on the field in order for things to work out. So we'll see how it goes. But I think it's a great move by the Angels. The Astros have replaced 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 it replaced Dusty Baker as their manager. Uh, they hired Joe Espada 
they actually promote promoted Joe Espada. Uh, he was the bench coach for the Astros. He had been the bench coach since 2018, so he's been there through all of it, right? He, I guess, he was there uh, the year after the official sign stealing World Series, right? He came the year after, so I'm curious what his ties are to that. If it was continuing on through 2018, 2019, we don't know for sure. Haven't I don't think we know for sure. There's obvious speculation, especially in 2019, 2020, things like that. Uh, I guess 2019 um, with like buzzers and stuff like that, but we don't know for sure. Uh, Astros general manager Dana Brown said his Espada has been running spring training, which is a big deal and has a good relationship with the players. So he deserves it. So I honestly don't know anything about a spot of the, this is the first I'd heard his name since, uh, since they hired him. I didn't know who the, the Astros bench coach was because obviously I'm not an Astros fan. So I don't follow things like that with the Astros. Um, and dusty Baker was a very upfront four figure with the Astros as well. So I'm curious what kind of swing this is going to be. If he's going to have more of an AJ Hinch style with these guys, or if he's going to be more of a Dusty Baker. I'm not sure how things are going to go um, as far as managing the clubhouse and managing the players and stuff like that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens and how things change in Houston. Um, obviously, there's a ton of talent there. But we all know that, right? Um, and I'm curious if he's going to kind of ride momentum with the way thing, Dusty Baker did things and keep things pretty steady, or if he's planning on implementing his own uh, own philosophies and strategies and things like that to maybe get them to the next level because they did win that one World Series in 2022, but they fell short last year. They fell short every other time before that. So something to keep a, uh, keep an eye on. I love watching teams with new managers, so I'll obviously be watching both of these teams since in the in the American League West, uh, paying attention to how things go with them and their new managers. Now, last couple things here before we get into a break. The White Sox are getting ready to have a fire sale. I thought this was fascinating and not not like super surprising, right? But the thing that was fascinating to me is what the GM said. Chris Getz says, we have a talented crew, talented group. There is no question. I don't like our team. <laughs> wow, okay. And granted, he's not the one who put it together, right? He's brand new GM. He said, we've got pieces that are talented and attractive and they can be part of a winning club, but obviously we haven't gone out there and performed. It's not a well-rounded club right now. We have to find players to come in here and help us get in the right direction. It's really interesting for a guy to come out and say, I don't like my team. And I, like I said, I understand he's not the one who put it together, but he was part of the team that did. Uh, he was part of the group of people who put this group together and put them out on the field. So I don't know that he can necessarily go out there and throw the previous GM under the bus too much, right? Um, because he's got some culpability in that. His hands were in there. Uh, I understand not liking your team. Um, there was one point this year as a Mariners fan, I was like, man, I am just not like super sold on this team right now. And I, just, it's like, it's like I had the guys I liked, but then, oh, but as a unit, it was just like, ah, I just didn't like. There's something about the cohesion or lack thereof that I'm just not in love with right now. And things, and they were struggling, and you could tell that there was something wrong that was leading to that. And I think that that might be what he's talking about with the White Sox. And you know, he said that there's a bunch of talent on that team but you don't have to like the way you can like the players and not like the way that they're put together and the way they play together. And so I think that's what it is. There's, I think he feels like there's something off with what's going on there. 
and that's why it was such a train wreck this year. And there had to have been something else going on in the clubhouse that we don't know about. I'm sure he knows about it because he was there, right? He's just in, he's in the thick of it. Um, so expect the White Sox to be moving some guys. He specifically mentioned Dylan Cease and Eloy Jimenez. The problem with Eloy Jimenez, despite being a really good hitter, is that dude is not healthy often. I think I saw he played like 120 games this year, and that was that was the most he's played in a while. So um, I do expect teams to come after Dylan Cease, though. He's a front end of your rotation guy. If you have him in your rotation and he's your number two or number three, you've got a pretty dang good rotation going. Um, I don't know that I'd want to rely on him as my number one, even though I think he does have one stuff, right? But I would want to be better than having him at my one if I'm going to contend. And I think a contender is going to go out and get him and make him their number two or number three. And that'll be a really good pitching staff. It'll be a really good one, two, three punch, if that's the case. Um, they also said nobody on the roster is untouchable. They've already cut ties with Tim Anderson. He's a free agent. Um, and I believe they have, uh, oh, Luis Robert. I wouldn't be surprised if Luis Roberts gets dealt as well. So keep an eye on the White Sox and how they deal with your team. <laughs> so anyway, all right. And last thing I have here, the Brewers. Also, are getting to ready to tear things down with the exodus of Craig Council. Uh, they already traded away Mark Canna this offseason, traded him to the Tigers, and they're ready to keep dealing, apparently. So they're open to trading any player on their roster, which is crazy because you, I mean, I guess, I guess this makes sense, right? Like you could deal Christian Yelich and you can also deal Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas. Both guys are on expiring contracts this year, they're on the last year of their, their deals. Um, and Corbin Burns specifically spoke about how he didn't like how things went with arbitration. He felt like things went really poorly, and that, that damaged the relationship between him and the team. So it's not likely that he's going to re-sign with them after that. I mean, you have, you have to think that he's not going to like, nope, Brewers, you know, 29 other teams to play for. I bet if the Brewers would come out and be like, look, we'll give you $5 million more than your highest bidder to come back and continue to pitch for us over the course, like a year or, you know, even like two or three more million dollars a year over the course of your contract to come pitch for us instead of the Cubs or the Cardinals, you know, especially those teams in the division. And he'd be like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do it. You know, just. The past is the past, right? I think if it came down to money, he would do it. I don't think that he's going to cross hard, cross the the Brewers off of his list and not want to have anything to do with them or or hear anything from them in uh, in free agency. But at the on the other hand, though, like I said, it is likely that he is gone after this year. So I wouldn't be surprised if they deal him. Willie Adamas, another expiring contract. They'll probably send him away too, and get some prospects or something back, at least some cash. Right. But I'm sure they'll get prospects back for Adamus and he'll go play for a contender and be really good at shortstop. So anyway, all right, we're going to take a break and we're going to speak with sports psychologist, David Essel. But before we do that, baseball family, we're always asking what you think about the topics we bring up on the show. Now you have a quick and easy way to share your thoughts with us. We've partnered with versus game to bring you games where you can make prizes for participating in polls trivia and predictions that's right if you're on the winning side of a poll or get a trivia question or prediction right you can enter to win actual prizes 
so you can play for free and earn an opportunity to win prizes every week. So head to btpod.onversus.com on your mobile browser to sign up and play our polls and trivia games. That's btpod.onversus.com to sign up and play versus game with us. We have a couple up right now. We're going to be getting a couple up more as the weeks go as the week goes on. So we should have several up for you to play on btpod.onversus.com. And we'll take a quick break and get back. We're going to speak with a sports psychologist. Baseball family, welcome to this wonderful interview that we are about to have with David Essel, sports psychologist, coach, and author. And uh, we're excited to have you. How are you, David? A break. I'm doing great, Brad. Great to be with both of you guys. And just a little bit of banter before the show started. We're going to have fun today. I can tell you that. <laughs> That's the idea. That's exactly the idea. Well, <laughs> what we get into what we... What's that, Brad? Oh, I just said that's what we shoot for around here. That's right. Trying to have fun. That's right. Let's get into what we get all of our guests into first. It's that's uh, we get called. We call it a rundown. You're about to get caught in a rundown. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is it first and second or second and third? I just want to it's know. Like what third. Second is we're going to. Oh, I always shoot for second and third. Is what I'm shooting for here. <laughs> higher stakes. Uh, yeah, yes. Higher yes. Stakes. All right. First question for you. What is your quest? Wow. My quest is to lift this world to the highest level of joy, happiness, peace, and success possible. And that's in the world of athletics and outside of that world of athletics. Wow. Thank you for that. Yes. That's a great mm -hmm. quest. Uh, next question. What is your favorite color? Purple. Oh my gosh. And runner up is black. Wow. <laughs> I can support that. That's He's the second person, Brig, that we've ever had say purple. It's true. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, only yeah. the second. Yeah, yeah, good. I'm glad I'm in, I'm in an elite category with you guys that already. Is this is great. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that is elite. If your favorite baseball team were a beverage, what would they be? <laughs> Never in a million words, Brig. What I would have thought of that question. <laughs> oh my gosh, my favorite baseball team. If they would be a beverage, they would be. Um, well, it's got to be something really high energy. Uh, it's got to be something with a lot of pat uh, passion fruit, passion fruit drink. That okay. would be it. Yeah. And who <laughs> is your is favorite it. baseball team? You, you know, I have to. I was waiting for you guys to ask this question. In uh, when I was ten years old, my uncle took me. To, we grew up in uh, Syracuse and Utica, New York, which is um, upstate or um, central New York. And my uncle at 10 took me on a bus ride with all of his buddies from work. And they jammed the bus with people to Yankee Stadium. And we were all big Yankee fans, you know, coming from the New York area. And on the mound was a rookie. And I fell head over heels for this rookie. And him and his team are still my favorite baseball team today. Jim Palmer. And the Baltimore Orioles. Wow. Nice. <laughs> I got a chance to see Jim Palmer pitch his first major league game against the New York Yankees. And I got to tell you guys, I'm getting chills right now. I'm so glad you asked that question, uh, Brig. You know, and the other thing is, is you know, I, I, I went to the World Series when they were up against Pittsburgh Pirates. If you guys remember that, uh, I was in the World Series. It was cold as hell. It was nasty weather. Oh, my God. You know, and, uh, and then we went through droughts, right? And then this yeah. year, I mean, the Orioles just went out of control for they the did. first time in many years and so i was very proud of them extremely proud yeah as we should. were too yeah we were following the orioles really closely this year and we were i was disappointed with the way they kind of fizzled out there at the end but i thought it was a great season and i'm 
I was really happy with what the Orioles did. I'm a Mariners fan, obviously you can see here. Yeah. So I kind of relate with the success or lack thereof. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. But no, I love. You have Rodriguez. Yes. Oh yes. my lord! You Julio. got the king. Yeah. yeah. Well, Brig, you, Brig said it wrong. It's Julio. We say it that way every time. That's how we say it around here. <laughs> I love okay, it. Okay, last question for you, David. If baseball was an ice cream flavor, what would it be? Let me think of something here. Um, orange sherbet. It has mm. that tang. It has that excitement. You know, I'm, I'm all about excitement and passion, right? It's like <laughs> yeah. I'm looking for yeah. something. Like what would light up my mouth? Orange sherbet would. So that would be it. I love it. That's well, and that doubles day. for your Orioles as well. That's with the right. Orange, and you can't with the orange. That. Thank you, Brig. I appreciate that connection. That's fantastic. <laughs> okay, so I've got your I've got your book here, mm-hmm. and uh, it's called Mental Mastery and Maximum Performance for Professional Athletes. Take your career and your life to the next level by David Essel. Do you want to explain some of these uh, acronyms at the at the back of your name for us? <laughs> I've got so many, right? So um, <laughs> master's degree in, in sport, uh, master's degree in science is what the MS stands for. You know, so my master's degree was in sports psychology, exercise physiology and marketing. Uh, and then I'm an ordained minister. The OM is ordained minister. Uh, right. I was a pastor for a number of years at an all faith church. Um, and so, you know, when, when you asked me earlier, what was my you know purpose in life and wh- why am I here? I mean, you know, it's really to spread the love and to spread the hope and, and the joy and all that. Um, I don't get hung up in any kind of one religion is the way, you know, mm-hmm. I'm more of a guy that says, hey, whatever path works for you. Great. Let me help you go deeper. You know, that's kind of the approach that I have. And is that the same approach you take to coaching athletes and your sports psychology? Yeah, I, I, identical. It's the same. You know, they, I, I am a huge fan of one-on-one work in the world of sports psychology, much more so than group work. You know, when when you're working with high-caliber athletes, they really, first of all, they demand the attention, right? I mean, and they should get the attention. And number two, just like everyone else, there's no two pitchers in the major league that are the same in any way whatsoever, the way they react to crowd reactions, the way they react to their own uh, frustration, right? So in sports psychology, what we do is like, I'll give you an example. I'm working with a major league pitcher right now. Um, During the pandemic, he lost his fire, completely lost it because he was used to the opposing fans booing him, which Mm -hmm. he's a reliever. So he would get fired up running out of the bullpen, right? And everyone's booing him and he is more excited than ever. In that one year, he lost it all. And he's not the only one that did. Right. But he, you know, his agent contacted me and said, hey, I don't know what to do with this kid. You've got to do do some work. You know, he's interested. He'll do whatever you tell him. And we have him back up at a level that is incredible. Um, Now, when we look at these things, these 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 incredibly elite athletes, they expect really good service. They expect one on one attention. Um, they deserve it. But here's the other thing that we'll, that when people read the book, they're going to find whether you're an athlete or not, you're going to love the stories. We tell so many stories of these athletes I've worked with that have overcome massive challenges, athletes I've interviewed that have overcome massive challenges. And so as a reader, you know, not only might you read about your favorite tennis star, Novak Djokovic, and what makes him so unique, but you might also read about someone like NFL linebacker Keith Mitchell. And if you know Keith Mitchell at all, uh, you know, and if you don't, that's fine. He's NFL All-Pro, so you can Google him. Uh, He was paralyzed on the field. Mm -hmm. And he was told he would never walk again. Yeah. And 
Keith Mitchell refused to believe that. He actually told the physician to walk out of the room when the physician came in and said, you know, I just want to tell you the reality. You will not be out of bed walking. And Keith Mitchell said, you may leave this room. Keith Mitchell today, if you Google him, he has the body of a freaking bodybuilder. He is slender and ripped. He is one of the top health and yoga teachers in the world. I call him a guru, guys. He is a guru. He yeah. travels the world teaching principles of peace. He is an activist for peace. He is an activist for uh, the, the anti-division in our country racially. He will speak up, but he is a quiet, quiet man. You know what? I've interviewed him so many times. We've become friends. And uh, I said to him, I go, Keith, I go, give me an exciting story of the NFL. You know, this is after we went through all the tragedy he went through, right? Mm -hmm, he said, yeah. you, and I, I, well, let me re, 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 go back for a second. I said to him, when you got hit on the field, he was on special teams when he got hit. It was a kickoff. He loved special teams. You know, those linebackers, they'll do freaking anything. They're just insane. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and here's this all pro freaking linebacker going, I want to be on special teams. You know, I want to be on the kickoff. And he got he got blindsided. Um, and that's what created the paralyzation. But he said, I, I said, what was it like when you came to? He said, David, he said, you'll never understand the feeling of 80,000 stands and not one sound. Wow. Yeah. He said, I opened my eyes and realized I was in deep trouble. But, you know, then the story goes on to become one of the most incredible comebacks of all time. But here's something I think you guys will, will, will like. I said to him, I go, how'd you get fired up for the games? Like, tell me something powerful, exciting. He said, oh, my gosh. He said, David, I have that song, Phil Collins, Into the Night. He said, if you, he said, if you know that song and you know that drum roll, yeah, you got it, guys. Yeah, right? oh yeah, oh, yeah. You know? yeah and he, goes, sure. he said, I'm, I'm in the locker room. I'm waiting. The minute that drum roll hits, I'm out through that shoot. I'm onto the field, and I'm looking for someone's head. I'm looking for a head already. <laughs> I'm sure he is, and especially after we've all seen, like anybody who's seen The Hangover, you definitely want to punch somebody after that. Yes, so I right. think it works. It adds an extra element to it. Yeah, I think that's a great one. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and you know what's so cool? I mean, you know, being involved with athletes for 43 years now. I mean, I can't believe it's been that long. But there are people too. You know, they're fun. I mean, they're hilarious. They're, of course, extremely driven, you know, which I love because I'm really driven. So I only want to work with people who have that desire to go higher. Right. But but then, you know, we talk about in the book, too, that a lot of fans forget about the pressure to be a professional athlete, knowing that your career could be six weeks or 16 years. You never know with injuries, trades, you're, maybe you're not going to be good enough after four years to compete with the upcoming guys. You know, I played basketball at, at Syracuse University. Um, and there came a point where uh, Roy Danforth was a coach, Jim Beheim, who all you guys know very well, I'm sure the name, you know, retired a year ago. Um, but you know, Roy Danforth called me into the office and, you know, he sat me down he said, Essel, he goes, I've got a seat for you. I was a walk-on. He said, I've got a scholarship, your final two years. He said, how, how are you ready? I go, Oh my God. I go, coach Danforth, I, I'll do whatever. He said, you'll do whatever it takes. Won't you? Essel? I go, Oh my God. Yes. Coach. You know, like he said, listen, you've been an anchor. You've been so strong for those two years. He said, but now I need you in a different role. So a different role. Okay. Now you got my attention. What does this mean? <laughs> and then he just laid it out. He goes, Essley goes, I want you to take that defensive intensity. You'll get to do your jump shots in practice. Red flag, red flag, red flag. 
but I want you to take that defensive intensity and we've got a group coming in that are going to blow your mind. And I want you to put more pressure on them in practice every game before the game so that when they get into the game, it's easy. Are you with me, Essel? Are you with me? Will you join us for the next two years? Now, I will tell you this before you give me your answer. You probably will never get off the bench. Are you ready? Do you want to still be an orange man? Oh, he was good. That's but good. He, you know, it was really good, right? But, but you know, athletes come to that point, and I had to come to a point realizing that my talent was not good enough to take me past where I was. You know, that's just the fact. And so then we have to make a decision. And how many athletes stay way too long? How many athletes stay past their prime? So I had to make, it was a tough decision. I was up till 5 a.m. with my roommate, Jake the Snake Jacoby. Love Jake the Snake. And uh, we talked until 5 a.m. And I finally came to the conclusion, you know, that um, work, the schoolwork was always hard for me. I had to work really hard in school. And, you know, when you're at Division One level, you don't have time for anything. I mean, practices are forever long. And if you're not practicing, you're training. And if you're not training, you're going through something else, right? And I just had to make a tough decision. You know, one that I still question a little bit today, guys, even though it's been 40 plus 45 years later. Um, and that is, I said, you know what, coach, I'll come in the next day. And I went in at 2.30 and I said, coach, I love you. I love Syracuse University more than anything in my life. I have slept with a basketball since I was six. I write about this in the book. And, um, but I said, I'm going to have to decline your incredible offer. I said, I have to commit to school or I'm not going to graduate. And I, it breaks my heart to not be a part of the team. And wow. he said, you know, I think you're making a mistake, but I respect your decision. You may leave. And that was the last time I saw Roy Danforth. Now that may sound sad, but it yeah. led me into this. It yeah. led me into right. this career that is so freaking passion filled guys. I mean, I get to do something and work with people and interview these athletes and coaches and everything that very few people honestly get to do. So I feel really fortunate, you know, and I don't know what it would have happened. I mean, I, I never would have made the NBA, um, but I don't know what, what, what might, might have happened afterwards. Could I have gone to Greece and played or could I, you know, who knows what I could have done. Right. But for sure. Uh, but, yeah. you know, but I, I, I talk in the book about athletes so that fans remember these things, you know, like we have these expectations. We'll 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 love them when they're all the way up. And then when they're coming down, we'll start to boo our own players. Like, yeah. you know, we have to realize that mm -hmm. these are human beings. They're away from their family. Sixty percent of the freaking year. They're away from their children. Sixty to seventy percent of the year. You know, yeah. they have all kinds of challenges that you and I have. J.R. Smith, if you guys know. <clears throat> remember jr from basketball yeah he just came out with a quote not too long ago um stating that you know he made major errors in his financial uh decision making in his career and he's mm -hmm. suffering now you yeah. know so we work with athletes from that perspective you know tampa bay buccaneers the first time that i was with ernest i i, I asked him i said hey what, what decisions did you make coming out of college to go into the pros that might be different than other athletes and he said well he said i took my signing bonus and i deposited immediately and invested it hmm. now hmm. i put that story in the book for the younger athletes pros coming into play you know so they can see 
an example of someone that, you know, was really intelligent, way ahead of his game. There's many athletes that struggle financially because their career is cut short or they didn't have any kind of financial planning. Right. So yeah. so the book is 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 incredibly broad. And then if you're an athlete, even an amateur athlete, we take you through tips on how to be mentally stronger, physically stronger. Um, you know, and what we say in the book, and this is true of everyone, it, you know, a professional athlete's challenge is not their strength. A professional athlete's challenge is their weakness. And if you have somebody that gets into your head, you have an opposing team player that gets into your head, that's your weakness. And you better find a way to clean that up because your strengths are not your problem. Your weaknesses are, you know, uh, Duncan Robinson from the Miami Heat is a great example of someone who late last year acknowledged his weaknesses. And I don't know if it was the coaches that did this or if he came upon it himself, but at the end of the Boston Celtics series, Duncan Robinson, who is the number one three-point shooter ever for the Miami Heat, and he's only been there four freaking years, for God's sake, right? Wow. And he's he's their number <laughs> one three-point shooter of all times. He's a, a killer stand-up three-point shooter. I mean, mm-hmm. he's phenomenal, right? But he never moved without the ball. So at the end of the season, the coach, Eric Spolster, didn't play him in the playoffs. We, we went through all of these different teams until we got to Boston, the last team before we were going to go on to Denver. And all of a sudden, Duncan Robinson comes off the bench and he's doing backdoor cuts for layups. He's getting rebounds. He's doing it. And, and, and I was saying to my partner, I go, Duncan, again, a backdoor cut. Duncan, again. You know, it was <laughs> now, now that was his major weakness. And that's mm-hmm. why he didn't play in the playoffs. So, you know, we, we do that with all sports, guys, baseball, basketball, hockey, football, golf, bowling. It doesn't matter. We even work with BMX riders, for God's sake. It's awesome. And it's all the same. Here yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Here it is. That's awesome. OK, I have a I have a question. One of uh, a lot of people love the film for love of the game. Kevin Costner pitching in Yankee Stadium, hostile crowd. He bends down to get the sign and he says, clear the mechanism the cinematic universe sort of goes quiet and blurry and everything in your experience. Is that realistic at all? What a dynamic question, Brig in the probably first six pages of the book, you're going to read a story about a great heavyweight boxer, Deontay Wilder. Yeah. And you're going to read the answer to your question, which I'll give you right now. Yeah. He says he puts so much time into meditation. Now think about this. A heavyweight right. boxer, all he wants to talk about is meditation, sending love. I mean, when you read Deontay, yeah. Wilder, you're, it's going to blow your mind. You're going to go, this is coming from a heavyweight boxer? Yeah. But this is what he said. The amount of time he puts in meditation allows him that when he gets into the ring, he hears absolutely nothing. He doesn't use the crowd to fire him up. He doesn't use the crowd to do anything. He doesn't even recognize them. So that's a great question, Brig. But I'll tell you something. There are all these techniques that we teach in sports psychology that allow athletes to get to that level, you know, and without, and I'm not the only one that does it, right? I mean, there's many of us that do it, but without someone from the outside looking in, And giving them the tools and tips on how to change this, because changing this changes the physical part of the game, right? But it all starts here. You know, you have to admit you have a weakness. And and, and let me go back, you know, and and not that I use too many basketball analogies, but, you know, when we look at athletes who are using this, 
I think of two people right off the bat. One is Russell Westbrook, one of the most incredible guards who ever stepped on the 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 the, the, the courts in my life and in, in 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 my life and I think in the life of basketball. I mean, the, the the guy is just amazing. He was traded to the Lakers and he was asked to come off the bench, and he comes off the bench in a fury every game. Yeah, he comes sure. off the bench as if he's starting. He is a leader. You know, people may not like his attitude. They call him cocky. They call him all this other kind of stuff. But I'll tell you what, throw all that crap out the window. He is one of the most professional athletes I have ever seen who never talks back. Who And everyone who, who talks about him being on the team will always say he always came into practice high, not, like not high, high. But you right. know, it's like, <laughs> we have, now with legal mar marijuana, we have to be careful about <laughs> <laughs> but he would come in let me rephrase it excited <laughs> he would come in excited and then everyone on the team would go here's this all pro and he's working and practice as hard as he is in the games that's what we want in the world of athletics there's no prima donna crap you know the real athletes are working out in practice as a matter of fact going back to syracuse university i had uh, my teammates coming up to me constantly telling me to, to give them a break on defense during practice <laughs> you know because it was something that i loved um, I had an early coach in life that that did not allow me to shoot until I was able to do certain things on defense. I hated the guy. His name is Larry Miller. I couldn't stand him. He was my coach for the first two years in high school. All I wanted to do was be a shooting guard. Who the hell wants to be known for defense when you're in ninth grade, for God's sake? Right? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> who, who wants to be known as someone that can take an offensive charge anytime he wants to? Nobody. Rebounds don't get girls. Three-pointers do. They sure do. And, right. <laughs> I, although, Brad, I will tell you, there was no three-point in, in my high school school or my college right. days unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> i wish I, I wish there was but yeah you know but, but sport is supposed to be fun and we we want it to be fun but we also want the book to be educational you know and i said yeah. earlier whether you're a serious weekend athlete i mean we we've worked with a lot of of you know i'll say older 30, 40, 60, 70, 80 year old men and women that used to be very competitive that still want to be. And they'll take this book and they'll eat it up. You know, my, my tennis coach, I have a tennis coach. He took the book and he goes, Oh my God, I'm learning from you. <laughs> it was hilarious. You know, I love him, but he's the most humble guy in the world. And he'd say that about anything I do. So, you know, he's a sweetheart. But, but the world of athletics, as you guys know, you're in it. You're in it really deep. I mean, what, what a better place to be. And what a better place to put our time right now with the world so insane. You know, mm -hmm. we get a break from the insanity by, you know, rooting on our teams. And the one thing I want to I just ask all of your uh, our, our listeners and, and, and people with us today. When your star team player has a couple days off or a couple games that they're not at their best, Ask yourself, have I ever had a couple bad days in a row in my life? Mm -hmm. Just ask yourself the question. And we all know the answer. And, and let's give them a break. You don't know if they're going through a divorce. You don't know if their mother just was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. You don't know if they were just told they're going to be traded in two days. We, we don't know. Right. We, we, we make assumptions and we see a Tom Brady or LeBron James. And, you know, we think these guys should be doing the uh, 20 years is quite a long time in athletic sports to be at that level, isn't it? Yeah. But, you know, we, we even don't give them a break. Sometimes these guys that have been around forever we want to right. criticize them. Right. And yeah. so I just ask the fans, you know, read the book. I think if you read the book, you're going to you're going to get a little bit more of a humble look. 
at some of these most amazing athletes and how they're committing their life. As a matter of fact, I've got a chapter that I put all these foundations that athletes have started to make it there. I'm getting chills right now, guys. Um, the Albert Pujols Family Foundation, LeBron James Foundation, Novak Djokovic Foundation. I mean, it goes on and on and on, you know. And so let's 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 cherish them for the work they're doing on their sport or their field or their court. And, and let's give them a break if they have a couple bad days or weeks or whatever it might be. And always reflect back. Have I ever been in a situation where I wasn't at my best for a couple days? You know, like, let, let's get real and then root them on, you know, right. root them on. And, and, and if you're a real fan, and now listen, because this might tick a couple people off and I don't mean to, but if you're a real fan, you're going to be a real fan during a thick and thin, man. You're not going right. to, I have loved my Baltimore Orioles ever since 1977 in the world series or 78. I forget what year. Do you guys know the year? I, think it was 70, I, I feel like it's 78. 78. Yeah, I, I looked it so. up the other day. So, okay. Yeah. I think it was 78. I mean, you know, from then until this year, we've been waiting, <laughs> Almost, <laughs> you know? but I have never, ever left them. I've never said, Oh, I don't like them anymore. I'm going to go with, you know, this team because they're winning now or something. You know, I've always wanted to cheer them on. Does that mean I'm perfect? Hell no. But it does mean that I have an idea about the life of the athlete and why not cheer them on? You know, why not? They're your city. They're your team. Boost them. Get behind them. Because you never right. know when someone's running out to the field or onto the court and they hear, go get them, Brig. You can do it, Brad. You have no idea what that one statement might mean if their mindset isn't set. Right. And we recently we recently saw that I have actually a couple things on that. We recently saw that with Trey Turner in Philadelphia, that he was not having like it was rough. And he was the guy. He was my pick for the MVP this year because of how he played in the World Baseball Classic. Sure. Then he goes out there. He's like, oh, for whatever. And the fans give him a standing ovation. He's been on a tear ever since then. I'm so glad, Brad, you mentioned it's like such a major impact that the fans can have on on things. And also, I the other thing that I thought of when you talk about. Uh, you don't know what they're going through in their people when right after I graduated from college, I was covering our, our college basketball team for the local, one of the local newspapers. And, uh, and I, and I had talked up this whole thing because I really wanted to get this job as a freelancer for them as a stringer. So I talked to this team and like, I think they can win the conference. And they're like, really, you think I was like, maybe not the regular season, but they can win the tournament. So he's like, all right, cover the game this Friday. They lost the worst team in the league and it wasn't close. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is ridiculous. Like, what's up with this team? And then, in, you know, the editor, for the sports editor for newspaper is like, I'm good. I don't think we need coverage anymore. It's like, OK, come to find out six months later, what happened that day was one of the veterans on the team. His wife had left him that day oh. and it affected the entire team. Yeah everybody in that locker room so they came out they shot like 20 percent. they got run out of the gym by this terrible team that they went on to beat later in the season mm -hmm. and you know ended up having a pretty good finish to the season but man it was just like it was baffling seeing what was going on we find out that later like oh that explains a whole yeah. lot as to what went on um but i have a question for you though is you talk about guys having a couple oh sorry real quick i just looked it up it was 83 the orioles won the world series they were in the yeah. world series in 79 Oh, seven, okay, so 79 is when I was there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so you talk about guys having bad days and sometimes like a few in a row, but what do you do for a guy who string, they kind of string together and he ends up developing maybe a case of the yips, like a Chuck Knobloch, Chuck Knobloch, uh, Jared Saltalamachia has talked about it. Right. What do you do for a guy who's going through that kind of stuff? 
So there's different psychological tools we use. One is called cognitive behavioral therapy. And, and the whole purpose behind it is to stop the ruminating thoughts, mm -hmm. <clears throat> right? It's the ruminating thoughts that get us in trouble. It's not the thought that comes on a Sunday morning and then again on uh, two weeks later. Right. A ruminating thought is one that it's it's a thought that follows a thought that follows a thought that follows a thought. Right now, if your ruminating thoughts is that I am the greatest baseball player in the world, you're fine. <laughs> okay, because even if you're not, you're going to feel you are. You're going to think you are, and you'll have a good day. Yeah. But but when you have ruminating thoughts of um, and I'll give you you know another example. Reggie Miller, who I love to death, has the greatest line in the world. He said, you know, um, he said a true shooter never remembers their last ten misses. That's a mindset. That's mm -hmm. a mindset. He said, when I went out there and missed 10 shots, I took the next 10 knowing I'm going to make them. And if I missed those 10, I took the next 10 shots knowing I'm going to make them. See, that's a mental mindset, right? It's like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. This is my strength and I'm going to do it. Now, what we do know with something like cognitive behavioral therapy, as a matter of fact, I'll give you an example right now. I happen to have one on my wrist. I have all my athletes with them. Is that when we have the ruminating thought, like um, uh, I, I'm terrible against sliders. I can't hit a freaking slider, right? And and it's one of the, the toughest pitches in the game to hit, quite frankly. So, you know, I, I, I have a block against sliders. It's all here. There's nothing in the bat. There's nothing in their hands, their arms, their chest, their shoulders that says genetically, you just can't hit a slider. We are sorry. Right. Maybe <laughs> a little bit the bat, but it's it's all here, right? So we take them through. And when they have that thought, I, you know, oh my God, so-and-so's pitching. I'm going to get 10 sliders in a row. We start snapping the band. Now listen, that discomfort arises first in the brain. Before you even feel it on your wrist, a millisecond before that, it's in the brain opposing the thought. Yep. So you can see over time, every time the thought comes and it's matched by discomfort. And then we say two, two phrases, cancel that thought. I am free. Hmm. And then we move on. Now, sometimes I'll have pitchers or I'll have other athletes that'll have to do it 20 times. They'll be snapping it 20 times and it'll finally, the brain will calm down. But you do that enough regularly. This is just one of a thousand tools we use, but you do that enough to clear the brain you know, I think Briggs, you said it in the movie when he said he wanted to clear his mind. Is that what you use? Yeah, the word? clear the mechanism. Yeah. yeah, clear the mechanism. You know, so that's what we're doing with CBT. Now, the cool thing with this is that I have basketball players that will go to base, uh, the foul line to shoot a free throw and they're struggling with free throws. They put their hands behind their back. They snap it. No one sees it. No one knows what the heck they're doing in their mind. They say, cancel that thought. I am free. And they approach the line. And then, of course, you know, with certain sports, we, we look at their rituals, their routines, you know, is the way they approach the line in basketball, the way a pitcher approaches the mound in baseball, the way, you know, a field goal kicker, a kicker approaches the ball in football. We, we look at those and not that I have to be the expert in any of those, but as an observer, you can pretty much see that if the pitch is going to the same place, it's not hitting the pitch and the foot on the mound is in the same place. Well, what if we change the foot by a half an inch, right? So we right. look at those kind of skills. So we do both mental and physical skills to help athletes reach their highest levels and stay there as long as possible. I love it. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's really great. David, we're going to have to 
have you back on the show. I feel like we've only just skimmed the surface of what is available to talk about here. Yeah. Briggs, Brad, there's so much, you know, like, I mean, and there's just so many cool people in this world that have come back and overcome massive challenges to return. I mean, we think of the Clay Thompson's, Jamal Murray's, right, of the world. We think of, uh, I, I'm trying to think of um, Tommy, well, Tommy John surgery, right? right. I mean, wasn't that one right. of the most incredible things that ever happened in the world of baseball? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my Lord. You know, and, and, uh, and even though you haven't asked the question, my very first baseball, incredible love was Sandy Koufax. Oh my perfect, Absolutely. You know, I was a left-handed pitcher. I glued into him at about seven. Oh my God. He's lucky. He didn't live on my street. That guy, I would have been wrapped around his leg. Every step he took, he wouldn't have been in the grocery store without me wrapped around his leg. I just thought he was the world, you know? Yeah. So, but you know, we, 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 Briggs and Brad, we can talk anytime you want. I love this. You guys love it. We're a great team here, the three of us. And so whenever it works, just let us know. That's for awesome. sure. Tell us where we can find your book. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, right now you can get the audio book free at our website. So this is exciting stuff. Go to talkdavid.com. T-A-L-K David. Talk David because it's all I do all day long is talk. So it's an appropriate <laughs> website. Yeah. Uh, go to talkdavid.com. Uh, there's actually three other of our top selling books you can download for free. And then you can get the audible for this one, Mental Mastery and Maximum Performance for Professional Athletes. You can get the audible absolutely free at the website, talkdavid.com. Listen to it. You'll hear my story of meeting Moses Malone for the first time. I was around 15, 14 years of age. Uh, Earl Monroe, the basketball player, Earl the Pearl. You know, I've got so many stories in there about people. Greg Luganis. You're going to read wow. a story about Greg Luganis. You're going to go, are you kidding me? He did that? <laughs> wow. You know, so it's, it's fun stuff. It's fun stuff. That's terrific. awesome. Love it. And again, that's Mental Mastery and Maximum Performance for Professional Athletes. Take your career and your life to the next level. David, again, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It's a fantastic conversation. Yeah, Brad Briggs, you guys are great. You're great hosts. You're fun to be with. And so you're very welcome for my time. And thank you for inviting me. We'll do it again, I'm sure. That'd be great.